Uh, hello. 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 How's it going? Good. Really good. Good. Becca, pinch me. Do it. Ow. Am it's, I am I dreaming? No, you're not. This is real life. <laughs> is this real life? <laughs> yes. Becca, am I alive in the year of our Lord 2019 <laughs> and I have seen Midsummer twice? Yes. Is it this is my life? We are finally here. I can't believe it. <laughs> Holy cow, folks. This has been a freaking Oh, wild ride. I'll tell you what. I mean, not really, because it's just been waiting. But then there was about two and a half hours that were a pretty wild ride. Our This whole podcast has just led up to this moment. So after this episode, we're just done. We're done. Like, we can't do anything better. Well, peaked. no, that's not exactly true. <laughs> because at the end of the month, we need to do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's, that's true. Fair. And then later in the year, we need to do The Lighthouse. Okay, we'll just come back for when it's the good ones. <laughs> and we just need to always stay around for all of Ari Aster's films. Yeah, we'll always reunite for Ari Aster. Yes. <laughs> what a champ. Holy crap, folks. Guess what? This week, you don't even get a proper reminder of when Midsummer comes out because it's freaking out and you can go watch it in a movie theater and you should. Maybe. I think you should. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we will find out soon what it depends on. Hello, and welcome to episode 37. Don't ask me. Sure. I really need to figure this out. I think it's 37. Pause while I find out what episode number we're on. This is very important to me, guys. I like to count things, all right? How else am I supposed to know when we hit episode 50? There's no way to know unless you count. That's true. Hello, episode 37. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this year podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hello. How's it going? Really good. I'm excited. That was me singing the song. (laughs) great what's up <laughs> and at my left hand by sid hello how are you i'm good all right let's get this out of the way after seeing midsummer are you talking like right now or immediately after it, watching Midsummer? well so full disclosure folks this is an early morning podcast for us it's about 11 a.m <laughs> uh becca and i saw midsummer just over a week ago and then we saw it again last night Sits out earlier this week. So really the only thing in between us watching the movie and us recording is like eight hours of sleep. Yeah. Except for Sid. Yeah. Yeah. So as always, the question comes immediately after watching Midsummer, where do we fall Uh, on the scale of existential dread? I was probably like a 93. A 93? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jeez. That's crazy. Luckily, it's gone down. I'm like at a steady like 70 we absolutely need to do paddington 2 next week <laughs> just to, just to one help me even us out a little bit jeez 93 heavens that's fair but it was still worthwhile there's a there's a lot going on in this movie i wish that we could record sid's face somehow <laughs> that she just made um imagine if you were paralyzed and sewn up into a bear suit 
what face you would make. And that's the face this had just made. <laughs> just hypothetically imagine that. Yeah. That's pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, Midsummer uh, is the sophomore feature length effort from filmmaker Ari Aster, acclaimed director of Hereditary. He teams up here with several of the same people from that movie, including, uh, I forget their names off the top of my head, but the cinematographer and the editor are the same people from Hereditary. Um, Midsummer stars like kind of a weird amount of menstrual blood. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess any amount in a movie, it's not what you expect to see in a movie, but definitely is some. Yep. And <laughs> it is the story of like just the biggest buzzkill girlfriend ever crashing just a totally sweet bro trip. And because of that, well, I mean, things were always going to go wrong, but things go wrong. And she's just such a buzzkill. Her family just died. We don't know how long. It was a few oh months. It was like five months. I'm just saying, she didn't have to be such a buzzkill. They had this, they had this sweet ass bro trip planned, <laughs> going to Sweden. And she decides to be like no i feel like i should go to sweden but i'm gonna be a total buzzkill <laughs> things turned out kind of fine for her wait for her, for her. literally everybody <laughs> else not okay hang on we're not let's let's do this folks this is a brand new movie right it's in theaters um let's just we're gonna do our hot takes first but we're gonna keep our hot takes as spoiler free as we possibly can then we will launch into a spoiler discussion just to give people who haven't seen this movie or are on the fence about seeing it an idea of if they would like to see it or not. So, the format of the show is as follows. We will do our hot takes, uh, then we will move into our discussion, which will be spoiler-filled, uh, final thoughts, and rating out of 10, which I am not prepared for in any way, shape, or form. I have no idea how I'm going to rate this film. Um, then we were going to go into other topics where we discuss other movies that we have watched over the last actually two weeks since we've recorded. And there's a few that are worth mentioning. So let's get into this hot takes. Don't burn yourself on these hot takes. Becca, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty hot. Ooh, spicy. Because for the past, what, three months since we've been talking about it on every episode, every time we mention it, I go, uh. Midsummer! <laughs> but I loved it so much face i think the first thing i said after walking out of the theater was i would really like to go to a swedish pagan midsummer festival dude actually same <laughs> that was the opposite of what i said <laughs> like like i get that a lot of terrible things happen at this festival but like i was in it like i was like i want to go to that and experience that aside from things that we'll get into <laughs> um but i was very pleasantly surprised at how much i love this movie and i think we'll talk about this a lot but there are so many similarities to hereditary even though they're obviously very different movies but it's hard to talk about midsummer without comparing it to hereditary i think but one thing that I noticed the second time around watching Midsummer is that just like every single scene in this movie is so like 
perfect, like so perfectly planned and so well executed that I just wanted to like freeze every single like screen, like just like have a screenshot of every single scene and just like look at every single thing in the background and everything that's going on. Like I loved it. I could watch this movie for 12 hours in slow motion and enjoy it, I think. <laughs> so that is my hot take. That's pretty spicy. Yes. Sid, you've had a moment to sit on this one. Yeah. How hot is your hot take? Uh, it's pretty hot. Um, so I'm not sure how much I liked it. I mean, I did like it. Um, the only thing is, uh, I got physically sick (laughs) and I have never gone sick in a movie before. And I think it was because of like the, the swirling in the background from the drugs. So yeah, I like, I had to like get up and walk around and yeah. Um, but besides that, I actually did really enjoy it and like it's just a great movie and it's it's gorgeous the performances are amazing it it was very different than what i was expecting but yeah i really liked it i think the only thing that keeps me from like really really liking it is just that my body wasn't a fan <laughs> so <laughs> i think the second time around i would not have such a reaction so great movie (laughs) well it was hard for us to even have like super strong opinions after the first time we watched it like both of us were like we need to sit on that yeah so then yeah going to see it a second time a week and a half later yeah i wish i could have seen it a lot yeah the original plan was to all go see it together and then immediately record and i think that would have been a bad idea this is one that needs to ferment a little bit yeah so we found the movie that breaks the format of the podcast, guys. <laughs> this movie, you need to sit on it for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, okay. How hot is my hot take? So it's pretty darn spicy. It's a spicy hot take. Um, I don't even know, man. Like, I don't, I, it's just, it's so good. <laughs> like, the thing I, I said this to Becca when we left after seeing it the first time. Like, this dude cannot keep getting away with this. <laughs> like, just, I go in, uh, when we went and saw Hereditary, I thought it was going to be a jump scare movie about a creepy little girl, right? That just obviously blew me away if you've listened to our episode on Hereditary, and you should, and most of you probably have because it's our best performing episode ever. Um,. And then this one, again, I thought that I knew what to expect, but I did not. I I wonder how much freedom A24 is giving Ari Aster in the marketing of his films. Because, like, both, like, you watch the trailers for either Hereditary or Midsummer, And again, I'm going to try to avoid just comparing the two, but it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Because they are stylistically so similar and fairly close together and all these things. Um the trailers do not lead on at all what this movie is actually about in any way. So I guess if, if the purpose of this small hot take is to help people who are on the fence decide, um, 
if you are a fan of like if you've seen the wicker man and you really like it and you wish that the wicker man turned it up to like 85 that's kind of what's going on here but i didn't even love the wicker man but now i think i do <laughs> <laughs> After watching Midsummer, <laughs> it's definitely inspired, not story wise, but just like I mean, all European pagan festival films. If that's a that's a really prolific genre, <laughs> um, are kind of inspired by The Wicker Man at this point. But um, I would say that for somebody in a Reddit comment said it really well in that like. They're like, the audience reaction says they're going to be incredibly split because A24 has basically marketed a fringe art house horror film to the masses. And that's really what this is. This is a fringe art house horror film. Like, it's not there to please you. And, like, that's not the goal. You're not supposed to be happy in this movie. You're not supposed to enjoy it, even, I don't think. It's very disturbing. It's very, very unsettling like but it's not scary it's not scary it it, scary is not the word i would use to describe it hereditary the last 20 minutes scary yeah midsummer is at no point ever scary um like horrifying it's just like very tense it's tense it's unsettling it's disturbing um and if you don't react well to those kind of things then you probably won't enjoy your time seeing it it's very anxiety inducing there's several times that i'm just like clenching my fists and like curled up in a little ball in my seat like a 10 year old girl um but hands down far and away by several degrees the best experience i've had in a theater this year and it's crazy fans of the podcast will know how excited I was for this movie. And it's kind of insane to actually see a movie meet and in a lot of ways exceed my expectations, mostly because the trailers. And again, I try to avoid watching trailers as much as possible, but the trailers for this did really didn't give any hints as to what the movie is at all. Like you could watch the trailers and have, I mean, I did, and I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought I did, but I didn't. Um, so, it's a very thoughtful movie. It's um, If you're a fan of just watching well-put-together movies, like I heard somebody describe it the other day as like some movie watchers are very visually driven. And I think that's me. Like I can watch a movie that has zero things happening, but if it's pretty, like I'm into it. Mm-hmm. So, something like... You know, it comes at night is like a very visually driven film. Right. And I think that's how I enjoy movies most. Like primarily I'm a visually driven film goer and this movie is one of the more gorgeous things I've ever seen. The cinematography on this is just disgusting. Like, and the, oh my gosh, the editing, the editing is so good. Um, so again, if you can stomach some of the more disturbing elements, which not everybody will be able to, and that's perfectly fine if you're not. Um, then you can't miss this one. And also, I would say, if you get motion sick often, 
probably don't see this in the theater. That's what I had to tell my mom. I was like, you will get sick if you go see this. Yeah. Uh, psychedelics play a very, very, very heavy role in this film. And um, I do not have personal experience with psychedelic drugs, but from people who do have experience and have seen this film, apparently the visual representations are incredibly accurate. So take that for what you will. So I better take note to never take psychedelic drugs yeah just said you should really just try magic mushrooms and just you know okay. just see what happens yeah we'll see i'll just like what's, what's the worst that could happen uh i don't well, want to go into spoilers ah, but okay pretty rough so stuff. that's our that's our hot take here um i'm really stoked to talk about this because there's a lot of things going on there's a lot of things i want to mention and there's a million things that we don't even notice. Uh, so in the course of our discussion, if you think of something that we miss or that we misinterpret, you can email us at contact at wewatchpodcast.com or slide into the DMs at wewatchpodcast on any of the major social media platforms. Ha! That was my little plug. Beautiful. Good job. All right, folks. We're going to dive into spoiler territory. This is the spoiler zone. Imagine, like, the, the jokey, uh, like warehouse siren like i need to get that on the sampler here uh we are entering the spoiler zone in five four three two and one we're in the spoiler zone folks. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Woo. oh my gosh we can talk about everything oh my gosh where do you even start though i, d- I don't, don't know. know uh we should have planned this out a little bit yeah probably I really don't, I don't have any idea. Um, I mean. I feel like maybe a good place to start and just get it over with is in comparing it a little bit to Hereditary. Like, All right. Just in the way that the story plays out is so similar to Hereditary, even though it's a completely different story. It's structurally similar. Yeah. Like something happens right in the beginning like someone dies and there's grief associated with that and then the most gruesome scene is like a third of the way through and then the last 20 minutes just go off the rails yeah and that's like the exact same structure in both of them Mm -hmm. and also like along the same lines with kind of what we talked about in hereditary is like they don't have control over what's going on and that's a big thing and what's um going on in midsummer is they're just like 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 the people simon and um what's Connie? Face? yeah they like actually tried to do something but they didn't have control and they were killed yeah so it's just like a big theme of like because um danny is like very passive and she's just kind of like doing whatever christian wants and not trying to be like a buzzkill or anything but she just gets pushed around and like everyone just gets pushed around and i feel like that theme is more um I don't, what's the word pronounced yes um in midsummer than it is in hereditary but that's kind of something i picked up on that's really interesting because i i totally glossed over that entire idea of mm-hmm. control yeah i just watched like a youtube video and they talked about that a lot and like it really I don't know. Really made sense to me. Do you know what the channel was? I don't. Let me look at my history. Oh, somebody has their YouTube history turned on. Yikes. I'm not watching <laughs> porn or anything. <laughs> well, you can't. It's YouTube. 
I just don't like them giving me recommendations based on like one-off videos that I watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is interesting though. I I picked up, or I guess I, uh, coming out of it the first time, really our conversation in the car was like, I think that this means something and I think there's like threads of this or that here and I think that... um you know, this could mean something or this is connected to that. And I, I did not at all think about the, the control aspect of it. He does seem to have a bit of a hang up on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was either by looper or insider looper or insider. Yeah. I don't remember looper. Was that, uh, JGL is on that. (laughs) Yeah. That one with Bruce Willis? Yeah, he just started a YouTube channel called Looper after the movie called Looper that he was in? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's interesting. See, I... Coming out of it um, and talking to Becca, um, my my little mantra with horror is that the best horror films are just, like, spruced up family drama. And... That's really, to me, what this is. This this film, to me, more than anything else, was about, I guess, a small handful of things. But more than anything, um, was about the importance of... And just, like, the inherent need that we as humans have for a support structure and a family unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it be friends or actual family or a community, basically, that... Our nature is to crave that and we will seek it uh, to the point of finding an unhealthy unit. Um, and that that idea is kind of what cults thrive on in the first place. So um, I guess I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Above and beyond, this is just an incredible cult movie. Um, it's hard to find a movie that is done, that is like about a cult that's done this well. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it's about that family bond. I think it's about, again, the need that we have to process guilt. And again, that if we don't have a healthy outlet for that, that we will seek unhealthy outlets for it. And I think that that wraps up that we have basically certain needs as humans and we will always seek a way to fulfill those needs. And there's bodily needs. There's, you know, food, water, sex, all of those things that are bodily needs that we will seek out. But there's also emotional needs. And human nature is to seek out an outlet or a fulfillment of those needs. Um, and if there is not a healthy way to do it, then we will seek an unhealthy way. So basically we see Danny here um, who has a lack of any sort of healthy emotional outlet. She's not happy in her relationship with Christian. Her family dies. She doesn't have a proper way to process that. She loses that family unit. She basically just has, she has, you know, really bad anxiety and panic attacks even prior to the events of the film, Um, which that seems to be something that runs in her family. Hereditary. Um, (laughs) And she's, basically all of these support structures are not there for her. her. Her biggest one, her family is stripped away. And then Christian is 
simultaneously unwilling and unable to fill that hole. And so what we see in the film is Danny resorting to a very unhealthy fulfillment of these needs. I think that's a really good way to put it because after watching the show the first time, both Andrew and I were like, what is this saying? And it was like kind of hard to figure it out, especially because it ends with Danny being okay, but it's thrilled. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's because of that unhealthy way to deal with well because the release is still there right yeah like you still feel good on drugs even though they're bad for you yeah you know what i mean Uh uh-huh yeah like part of me didn't like love that she like kind of accepted like what just happened because like for most of the movie she's kind of like pushing against it and then in the end she like just like accepts it and part of me didn't like it because obviously like cults are bad you shouldn't sacrifice people but then also at the same time it's kind of like well, she has a family now, so... It's a homicidal family. Yeah, but... It's, it's, Christian was a dick, so... He was a dick. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is, like... That's what makes it so interesting, is, like... The deck is just stacked against her, mm-hmm. right? Like, she seems... Like, I mean, we don't know her outside of the movie, but she seems like a good person. Mm-hmm. Just, like, a, a, a... She's just a girl. I feel like I know her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know 500 people who are freaking clones of her. Like even just like her, like her tone of voice Mm. and the cadence that she uses. Even though she's British in real life. Is she? Wow. Yeah. Pretty much everyone in the movie was British except for Josh, the, um, the black friend. Christian is British. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Will Poulter is British, and then I'm pretty sure like everyone else was Swedish. What on earth? <laughs> because that's that's some. Uh, I guess we can get into this for just a moment. The performances in this are astounding. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. And incredibly understated in how good they are because the way that like Danny and Christian and Josh and um, Mark talk is not how you see americans portrayed in media Mm -hmm. right like you're either like a dignified upper class person or like a valley girl or like a down-home hick or whatever like it's always exaggerated but like i said these just felt like people that i knew yeah like they talked like real life human beings the acting was so naturalistic well i think one of the scenes that really stuck out to me that showed that is when she's talking to Christian about him going to Sweden Mm. and like, it's just such a natural thing, but it's like that scene specifically sticks out to me because Mm -hmm. of the way that she talks and the way that she's trying to get him to calm down. And, and you're right. It all feels so just natural. And like that conversation was not scripted. Like that, none of it feels scripted. It just feels. And her natural. phone call at the beginning. Oh my gosh! Yeah. If you notice at that phone call scene, her face takes up like eighty-five percent of the screen. Mm-hmm. It's just like hyper zoomed in on her. Her emotions throughout the entire movie are also just like so realistic. Yeah. Well, in probably the first twenty-ish minutes, basically until they get on the plane. Um. 
are just like a masterclass in exposition and storytelling because you, you get so much of their relationship in such a small period of time and you understand the codependency and how unhealthy the issue is or the relationship is and how emotionally manipulative Christian is like the fact that he it's, it's a completely reasonable thing to expect your significant other of four years to tell you that they're going on a six week trip. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But then she ends up apologizing. He forces out an apology out of her. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing I want to mention here um, about, so uh, I apologize to sit at the beginning of the episode and I'm going to apologize now. Um, I'm hijacking some trivia stuff because that's totally fine. Um, Ari Aster did an AMA, which stands for ask me anything on Reddit. Um, as well as the official discussion thread for this movie on Reddit is actually really good. And there's some really interesting things get pointed out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to kind of get these things as we go. And this talks about at the beginning of the movie, um, specifically and they do it a few other times throughout but it's it's more pronounced at the beginning was the use of mirrors and what mirrors mean oh my gosh i just any movie that uses a mirror i'm just i'm in love with 100 dude I love it. that's like 60 percent of why black swan is a 10 oh my gosh. <laughs> um so let me see if i can find this comment here we go um so basically what i read is that mirrors in art oftentimes represent empathy. Um, so basically you're, and um, we'll talk about this more a little bit later, the idea of mirroring and how it's a tactic that cults use. And obviously they use it very heavily, uh, especially towards the end of the film. Uh, the idea that the community mirrors each other's pain and um Uh, emotions uh but here we go so let's see this person says this is reddit user hong kong chicken says i'm not sure i can remember every instance but during the movie i thought everyone depicted in a mirror was being dishonest so you see um when they come home and christian goes and sits down at the computer Mm -hmm. and he's in the mirror and she's by the door which is just a freaking miraculous shot because that's one long take yeah Mm -hmm. Um, two Christian speaking to his friends about inviting Danny. So he stands up from the chair and walks towards the door and you see the mirror behind the couch. Um, Danny sees her sister in the mirror of the little porta potty. Mm -hmm. And then when Josh sees Mark in the reflection, when taking photos of the book. So, and what somebody else, um, I don't think I saved that comment. I don't remember who said it. Um, but somebody said as well that mirrors are used to place characters on different planes when a wedge is being driven between them, basically. Hmm. Because all of the relationships in this film kind of just slowly deteriorate, mm-hmm. right? So, again, uh, I think that's a really interesting way to do that, to use mirrors to place characters on different planes to show a separation between them. So, all of those scenes as well. So, when Danny and Christian are talking in her apartment... He's in the mirror. She's by the door. Um, and, you know, when Christian stands up and tells them, oh, I invited Danny, he's in the mirror and they're all sitting there. Like it places these characters on different planes, mm. which I think is really fascinating. Yeah. And just kind of a, a way to play on your subconscious to 
place a divide between these characters, even if you don't realize that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the things that this movie does so well, uh, not to get off on another tangent, but it it plays with your subconscious incredibly well. There's so many things happening um, in the background and not even in the background. Like that's pretty in your face with the mirrors, but like there's so many things happening that play with things that you would respond to without even meaning to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There just like be moments where like nothing's really happening, but all of a sudden like my heart starts to beat faster or like I like breathe faster or I, get physically sick and it's just like just with the music and everything that they show on screen is just it's just so unsettling like even in like scenes where it's it wouldn't seem unsettling you're still like the part where I got sick wasn't even like and a disturbing part it was like about the time during the dance and it was just like Oh, that's very disorienting, though. Yeah, it it is. But, like, it wasn't, like, I thought if I were to get sick, I'd be sick over, like, what I, something disturbing. Sure. I didn't think I was going to get, like, motion sickness. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very good at kind of breaking down your walls and just, like, making you feel uncomfortable for the whole movie. And I love it. Yeah. It's... that's the other thing is that the that sense of dread and unease really pervades the entire movie. Like there's never a point where you feel okay. And I think that that's kicked off, you know, in the first, just with the, the opening, I don't even know how long it is, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. 10. Before they like, when she finds out. Yeah. Like pre opening uh, credits. I would probably say seven minutes maybe is that how long it is i really don't it think it feels that longer long. well i think it brings in that feeling of uneasiness even just right in the very beginning when it cuts from like these pretty pictures of the trees to the phone ringing mm-hmm. like just that cut immediately oh! <laughs> how is it what is he even doing there why is that so good yeah. that was the only know. part that i jumped at is when the the phone when started. the phone rang yeah apparently that uh, the whole opening was all filmed in Draper. Whoa. Ooh. And you can totally see it. Oh my gosh, yeah. we're in Draper. We're in Draper. <gasps> Let's go find where they filmed it. But yeah, like if you if you pay attention, the first the first overhead shot, like I read about that after the first time that I saw it. And so I was, I, I meant to mention it to Becca, but I totally forgot. So when you see that first open overhead shot, uh-huh. 100%. Okay. You can I tell totally it's like see a, that. Okay. Like that's and then when it Draper. shows in front of their house, it's like it's just totally a Utah oh, house. Yeah. yeah it, so apparently Ari Aster likes oh to film gosh. in Utah because all of Hereditary is filmed in Park City. Let's oh, that's true. go on an Ari Aster tour. <laughs> <laughs> um and then another thing I noticed, so Becca and I, after we watched it the first time, we're like, Oh my gosh, that opening scene, her parents are dead. But it's worse, they're dying. Yeah. They're yeah. still alive. Because they're breathing. Yeah. Um, but you can hear the car running. Can you? In that opening scene. I heard that. I didn't like I didn't hear it myself, but I saw someone post about it on Reddit. Yeah, I noticed that Jeez. the second time around, you can hear the car running. And just That's like that awful. whole scene where it's just like like all the shots are blending together as they're like all the firefighters are going in mm. and like going up the stairs and it's just like and just like the droning and like you know sounds. you pretty much like know what's coming, but then like yeah. they show the sister and you're just like, Oh my god 
gosh. And it's just like, ugh. Yeah. And then they show her computer and it's like four new messages. Being like, it was like, we're watching this opening scene and it's all happening in real time. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy. Oh my gosh. And like, again, watching it the first time, I, I was almost, I was almost a little disappointed at having the opening be like, oh, our family's just dead. Because, like, a million possibilities are going through my head. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, is this sister going to play a large role? Is this family trauma going to play a large role? Is it just going to be hereditary? And then her family's dead. And I was like, oh. Like, so it's just going to be about grief again. And, like, it is, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. Like, it's about grief in a totally different way. Like, in hereditary, it's about blame. In a lot of ways, right? And I never get the impression that Danny blames herself. She doesn't feel any guilt. She just feels lost. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that he took that angle. That's the end of that tangent. I don't know. Yeah. And I do think, I don't know, Ari Aster is really good at... Making movies? Well, yes. <laughs> but, like, again, with the emotions, like, getting, like, capturing what grief looks like and feels like how do you make actors do that i don't know like the way that she cries and screams and she's like coughing at the same time and it's like i don't know how people can make that noise just by acting like that's i don't know and even like her panic attacks that she has Mm -hmm. oh yeah where like she just like can't breathe and then finally will just like (gasps) you know what i mean like how do you do that I, I have no idea. Oh but, like, you can feel it with yeah. her. Yeah. Ugh. It's so good. Like, I'm wondering... I'm, like, having second thoughts now. Like, is Tony Collette, like, actually just a brilliant actress? Or is Ari Aster just, like, <laughs> the most incredible director ever? It's I mean, probably a you gotta bridge both. that gap somewhere. But, like, who is, who is Florence Pugh? I've never even heard of her. I saw her in, like, that wrestling movie, The Fighting With My Family. Oh. Which was, like, fine. But she's she's great in it like she's really? just i've only this is i've only seen two things with her but i love her huh like and i hear um she's gonna be in the new little woman with like saoirse ronan and timothy chalamet and i don't know what that is it's um greta gerwig is doing oh yeah so she's gonna be that and then i hear like lady Macbeth is really good Jeez. But yeah, I was just... Did like, did Arcade Fire just like appear on the set of that movie spontaneously? <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, we got Greta Gerwig, Timothy Chalamet, Cersei Ronan, and Florence Pugh. I feel like Arcade Fire just, that's like too much concentration But it's of a period movie, so... Hipster? Like, <laughs> Wynn Butler is just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> um, oh, shoot, what was I going to say? Oh, just like, like, I was blown away just like from her very first scene, but like when christian answers the phone and she's just like screaming oh my gosh and like you don't see her but you can just like feel it and then they and then they cut to them on the couch and she's just like her whole body is just racked with sobs and it's just oh my gosh and then that transition to the opening credits where it goes out the window and the music the music in this film is absolutely brilliant interesting bit about the music Ari Aster talked about it in his AMA. He said, With Colin Stetson on Hereditary, 
uh, somebody asked about the composing process, how involved he was, um, all that. Said with Colin on Hereditary, we communicated daily through email. It was a great collaboration, albeit a remote one. I'm incredibly proud of Colin's score, and it was a thrill to work with him. One of my heroes. Mm. Colin Stetson is an absolutely brilliant musician. If you haven't, um, he has several albums. Um, there's one that he did oh, with, I forget her name, with uh, a violinist. Never Was the Way She Were, I think is what it's called. And it's just saxophone and violin, and it's freaking brilliant. Um, it says, with Bobby, I don't know his last name. But the guy that did the score for this, he said, with Bobby, we tried working over email, but found that it didn't work for us. I then flew to L.A. to work with him at his home, and we worked together in person for the composition of most of the score. We had a fantastic rapport, and it was an incredibly fluid and fruitful process. I love them both and found both collaborations extremely fulfilling. So he was very involved in the composition of the music for this, which makes sense. And the music is amazing, and also the like lack of music in yeah. certain spots. Well, because such a smart choice. Because outside of those opening twenty minutes, all of the music is diegetic. Mm-hmm. They have that little traveling band that just goes around playing creepy Swedish music. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, it, it makes sense that he would want to be that involved in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the very end. They're not playing that music because it's like a full orchestra. Thing. Yeah. Which, oh, that music is so good. Oh my gosh. The music is so good. So good. And also the way she, Danny reacts in the end too, when she's like the very end, when she's just all covered in flowers and she's like trying to like walk or run and she's like screaming. Dude, I had, I had a realization about that. Okay. Okay. So... Uh, and we can let's talk a little bit about Danny's journey and then I'll get into my realization Becca you had an interesting uh point last night about kind of the beginning of Danny's transformation into the May Queen essentially I I don't really remember what I was (laughs) saying last night (laughs) you were talking about when she first starts to open herself up okay so well, I'm going to start with another comparison to Hereditary, yeah. and then I'll get into that. Um, but yeah, last night after watching it, I realized that another comparison between um, Danny and Tony Collette's character um, is the grief aspect and how like having that grief and that huge loss left both of them really vulnerable to some kind of ideology that they latched onto and then became part of. Um, but I think that when Danny actually accepts is like way before the very end. I think it's when the, um, old man and old woman jump off the cliff. The Atastupa. The what? What was it? Atastupa? Atastupa. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. So she like freaks out at first, but then she like gets really calm and mm-hmm. is just watching it. And I think that's when she first like opens up and realizes like oh i'm i'm okay with this mm-hmm. even though she freaks out after like i think she's actually a lot more calm than mm-hmm. she is yeah because i don't i don't think that she's okay with the suicide no i think she's okay with the communal grieving uh-huh. she, and the like acceptance of death yeah 
Because I think that it's super important, um, the dream that she has that night. Mm -hmm. Which, side fact, or side side note, I kept track. This movie takes place over three days. I was trying to keep track too, and then I forgot. So it's technically like five days, but three days of the festival. Uh It's a nine-day festival. What do they do for the other six days? (laughs) Jeez. In any case, I think that her dream she has that night is where it gets really clutch. Mm-hmm. and she like actually accepts it because in her dream she kind of flashes between several things right and i think that they each represent different things i'm a big 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 fan of dream sequences in horror movies <laughs> um there i think that like rosemary's baby set one of the gold standards and um like it comes at night and Suspiria do it just as well. And I think that this movie matches that as well um, because every little vignette in her dream sequence is very representative of her emotional state and what's going on in her head. So first of all, and I don't remember the order that they appear in, but there's a few that stood out to me. One is her family at the bottom of the cliff being that meaning that she is, she at that moment has begun to merge her experience with that of the community, right? Like she lost her family. They lose their elders. She's merging, uh, their deaths together and beginning to latch onto the community that way. Um, there's the scene where it shows the dude's smashed up head and then it reverses and shows it being repaired. And I think that that's her, um, I guess starting to accept death and the idea that that hole in that pain could be repaired because I don't think that she ever thought that it could before. Mm -hmm. And then finally she goes outside and they're driving away and you see Will Poulter just like grinning at her Mm -hmm. in the backseat, which is super creepy. Mm -hmm. And that's her separating herself from the group of people that she came with to latch on to the group of people that are there. And the other thing that I noticed is that in all of her dream sequences, there are like very subtly flashing police lights. Oh, which is really cool. There's like flashing red and blue. I noticed it. in, yeah, the one where the part where they like drive off mm-hmm. I noticed it there, but I didn't know whenever it's dark when it's dark okay. in, in any, cause there's a couple of dream sequences and whenever it's dark, whenever, uh, stuff like that is happening. There's like flashing red and blue, but I think that dream sequence is so important understanding her psychology and like what her, like what she's going through as far as her decision making goes. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm reading so too good. much into that, but I don't think I am. I don't think so. And it, it helped to see it the second time too, because after the first time it was kind of confusing to understand Mm -hmm. like why she was so happy at the end, but it makes sense. And there are subtle or maybe not so subtle after watching it a second time Mm -hmm. scenes like that, that show her accepting the community. Well, and after that, she's hardly ever with Christian. Yeah. Like after that first day, like even when they're coming back, he just like ditches her. He's like, Oh, take some time to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? She goes and has her, panic attack mm-hmm. um but yeah she's hardly ever like they're together at meal times but even like the one time she comes up to him he's interviewing the one guy and she's like she's like 
what's his name i just lost it simon simon just left without connie he's like oh that's weird and then just like goes back to his conversation Mm -hmm. like she begins detaching herself from him at that point and then it i was gonna use the word consummates but (laughs) 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 it uh the process finishes i I don't know (laughs) i can't do this people everything sounds like sex um she fully detaches herself from christian uh when she sees him impregnating the swedish girl and that scene is creepy because before then we hear all the women like moaning but right when she's looking we start to hear christian Mm -hmm. like joining in too and like that's like terrifying to hear him Mm -hmm. i don't know that scene can we can we talk about that scene a little bit should we talk about it weird (laughs) it's so weird it's so weird and like almost comical yeah like everyone in the theater was just like nervously this movie is hilarious let's just get that out of the way it's so funny (laughs) everyone's just like laughing because they're nervous or they're scared well yeah like what do you like that's usually i get really bothered when people laugh at uncomfortable moments because i'm like don't go see like a hyper disturbing horror movie if you're gonna laugh when you get uncomfortable because the whole point of the movie is to make you uncomfortable (laughs) but this this movie was funny yeah well, I mean, you know, when you see an old lady push a guy's butt. Oh my gosh, that was so well. And like, you have when, to laugh when the first lady kneels down and starts singing, and oh, he, yeah. the look on his face when he's he looks like, up is just—he's like, "What?" Is, uh? <laughs> <laughs> and then he like tries to look down, and she like grabs his chin and makes him make eye contact with her. <laughs> and then just all the women in the circle. And then after he finishes, when he turns around and it's just like the old lady with the rotted teeth, just like (laughs) grinning at it. (laughs) Oh, it's just so weird. It's it's so weird. But I could see why it would make Danny throw up. Yeah. 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 Um, Like, I don't know. uh, I'm not an expert by any means, but on some of the very brief reading that I've done since watching this, like apparently like weird sex rituals are a thing in pagan culture or pagan religions. Yeah. I don't know. It's just such a, like, I just feel like we'd be remiss to not mention it at least that like, if you saw that scene and you're freaking weirded out, like that was the point. Yeah. And that's totally okay. I'm just really glad I decided not to see this with my mom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, I was, uh, I remember seeing Hereditary for the first time, and Becca was like, yeah, I was a little uncomfortable with the naked people, but like, (laughs) and then this one, it's like, literally like, covered in blood at half mast. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently that, um, so I didn't follow this very well, but apparently they had a really hard time getting this movie rated. Mm. Um. Because apparently when he runs out of the barn and is like still mostly erect, <laughs> like that scene almost uh, gave the movie an NC-17. Oh, geez, just really? like just for that. Because the MPA is so weird about yeah, they nudity. Are really weird. They're so weird about nudity. Like I guess the, the rumor mill, because I avoided as much as I could about this movie before mm-hmm. seeing it. The rumor mill was that like it was hyper violent and disturbing. And so that's why they wanted to give it an NC-17. But it was just like, 
no the mpaa is weird with sex yeah so mm-hmm. well and i i don't know the nudity it was just weird it wasn't disturbing the way it was it weird in, like mm-hmm. the witch or sometimes in like hereditary was pretty disturbing to me yeah the nudity mm-hmm. but it wasn't yeah. disturbing it was just weird yeah very weird props to jack rayner though like that's you're going all in there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He really gave it his all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but then wrapping it back around to kind of Danny's journey. Again, she like is fully in there. And that's when she, that's when her crying is first mirrored. Right. That was probably my favorite scene. That's so incredible. Oh my gosh. I like, Kind of at this point in the movie, I was like, I don't know if I like feel well enough to stick through it, but I was like, I have to see the crying part because like I'd see it in trailers. So I was like, that mm-hmm. looks incredible. Yeah. So good. Um, and so then my, my big realization the second time around is that when you see her and she's in the flower suit at the end and crying before she starts smiling, she's not crying. Like, she's mirroring with the rest of the community. Mm. Huh. I need to see this again. That's interesting. I real uh, Like, it hit me a second before it came on. Because I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. I knew that, like... Because there's that incredible shot of her, like, moving across the frame in the flower suit with the building burning in the background. And she's just, like, hyperventilating, crying. Mm-hmm. She's not crying. Huh. She's just mirroring with everybody else. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I see that. I and think... then she like pulls herself out for a second and smiles. Mm-hmm. It's not that she like has some like switch flip in her brain. Because the first time that I saw it, I thought that's what it was. I thought she was crying over Christian and then like the switch flipped and she's like, oh no, I'm happy now. Like mm-hmm. she kind of just like she's doing it with the community and then she kind of comes to herself for a second and smiles. Well, I think that the crying scene with the other women is probably like what leads to her like fully oh, yeah. accepting 100%. the community. Because yeah. I think at first she's kind of like freaked out and like maybe a little claustrophobic that all these women are like mm-hmm. on top of her. But then when they're all like finally in rhythm, like it's really beautiful. Yeah. Like it's... Oh my gosh. And yeah. when I, um, I think about in the beginning when she's crying on the couch and Christian's like holding her, like he's sad, but he's like not moving. And she's just like, her body is just, you know, she's like breaking down and yeah, like kind of putting those together and looking at the contrast, like, like she finally is like with people who understand and are there. Like they want to feel that with her mm-hmm. and like, she feels that support that she was craving. Mm-hmm. And here we go. So this is, um another gem from the reddit discussion thread um this is from reddit user suck it Trebek. <laughs> or suck it trebek sorry it looks suck like an f trebek. suck it trebek <laughs> <laughs> uh, i on a side note i think that reddit not censoring their usernames was like the greatest thing they ever did it's easier on their end for programming you don't have to worry about it and people come up with the freaking funniest usernames oh my god so it says here um charles manson uh charles manson used to have his followers take psychedelics and mirror his actions that created an imprinting effect on them that made them more pliable to his will 
Uh, cults will often meet newcomers with a practice called love bombing that integrates them into the organization. It's simultaneously helpful and dangerous. It was just reinforcing her need for codependency. Mm-hmm. So apparently that idea of mirroring is actually an effective tactic. Mm-hmm. Well, also, like you think about... And mixing like, it with psychedelics. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, just like kind of like psychology is like if you um, like want someone to be more attracted to you, like kind of copy their body language well, what does andy bernard say you just watch the office i don't he says know. it when he uh when he comes out of or when he goes when he's going into anger management um oh yeah he's like i'm gonna pass this and he's like this is a nine-week course i'm gonna pass it off in three yeah through like name repetition, name repetition. mirroring and like but yeah he mentions it that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah because it is just like you know like in job interviews they're like mirror the interviewer like mm-hmm. it's it's just a way yeah puts them at ease and connects you to so yeah. well and it's it's true with grief too like if you're sad or even just have like a crappy day or whatever it's not like you want somebody to like fix everything you just want them to just be sad with you listen, or whatever and understand like, it's yeah. a mirroring that yeah. helps um and then as well the second part of that comment that apparently for initiation they do something called love bombing which they definitely do to her and becca noticed this a lot more than i did um the how they treat her different oh yeah i thought that was really interesting because like when they first get there and like to the actual community and there's like the older man greeting everybody and he's like welcome 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 and then like welcome home to danny and like gives gives her her a hug. hug yeah and then also the part where they're first taking the mushrooms and she's like, I just don't really want to like eat it. And they're like, well, we have a tea for you. Uh huh. So yeah, they're very accommodating for her and yeah, really trying to make her feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like the way that Pele, uh, talks to her about it. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you're coming. I think it's very good that you're going to be there. Like, yeah. And then like their conversation on her bed when he talks about like, being held and like Mm. do you feel held by christian like one of the comments i didn't save it i don't know why but one of the comments was about uh the use of his name and essentially her transition from a more traditional i guess uh, not even western american ideology uh which is typically represented by christianity Mm -hmm. to a more obviously paganistic religion and society um, so that whole thing, um, I list, I heard that conversation a little bit different the second time around because basically like, do you feel held by Christian? Like, mm. is Christian giving you what you want? Are these Christian values doing for you the things that you want mm, them to? That's mm. interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, that, and again, it's just, it's, it's, it's preying on her need for codependency. And her, like, vulnerability at a time of intense Mm -hmm. grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, One more thing that's on top of my head. When he comes in and he's like, this is my sister, born on the same day as me. I don't think they're twins. Mm -hmm. I think that the community's concept of birthdays is a little wonky. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that, too. I feel like it's more like years. Yeah. Because, like... and it's probably surrounding the festival because, like, mm-hmm. the two people who died are probably not 72 exactly, but, like, in their 72nd year or whatever. Yeah. Um, that was one more thing that he clarified as well um, because uh, is the difference between 
uh, the Midsummer Festival and what happens every 90 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this is canon from the mouth of Ari Aster. He says, the last ritual of the film is what happens every 90 years. The rest is business as usual. Okay. That's kind of what I thought. So like the Atastupa and all of that, like that happens every year. Because they were even describing it. They were saying like every 90 years we make this sacrifice of nine people. Mm -hmm. Well, what some people were hypothesizing was that like they just say that. Like to... To kind of rationalize it. Well, not rationalize it, but to like... Some people were thinking really, I think, a little too far into it. That basically, like, they send their people out to specifically target, like, anthropologists and people who are interested in whatever to say, oh, this happens every 90 years. So that they would be more inclined to be like, oh, I got to go now. Um, You know what I mean? But. Yeah, I could see that. But also, I don't know. It kind of seems like it would be hard to recruit outside people every year to come and the community is pretty small like if they have to sacrifice four of their own every year and rebuild that barn every year yeah (laughs) when they first showed the barn i like got some serious wes anderson vibes oh yeah i feel that is this moonrise kingdom like a big (laughs) yellow barn (laughs) and it's like perfectly symmetrical (laughs) yeah um this one here uh i thought was really interesting um or sorry on 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 this topic one more um this is from reddit user uh dirk diggler (laughs) says i'm not sure if anyone has pointed this out yet but when mark asks why all the swedish women are so hot josh tells him that it's because the vikings went to other countries and took the most beautiful women they could find this is exactly what the Harga do in the film through men like Pele and Ingmar, except instead of pillaging and abducting, they lure attractive college-age kids full of wanderlust to the commune in order to be used as sacrifice and potential mates. Huh. Hmm. So just another bit of foreshadowing. That's cool. Um, okay, and then this one I thought, and the dude in the edit uh, actually, he says, so he edits it down at the bottom, this guy, um reddit user salamanderis uh he says after watching it a second time i don't know how much of this actually holds up most of the flowers i mentioned aren't as unique to the characters as i previously thought uh so i think i overestimated their significance as a whole uh and then he, he goes into some more specific things uh but he talks about uh because different flowers have different significances mm-hmm. what's the plural of significance Significai. Significai. Different, different flowers have different meanings, uh-huh. right? And they get featured more prominently at different times than others. So while they are not unique to these people, I think there is something here just because of how thoughtful of a guy Ari Aster is. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh, actually, the top reply to this comment was, I'm not convinced that this account isn't just Ari Aster and he's pissed that we all missed this. <laughs> <laughs> so in any case, um, uh, all the flower symbols in Midsummer. The flowered eye in Ari Aster's name during the credits is a flower called an aster. Huh. That's cool. That's the simplest one. Maya, the redhead, wore striped carnation flowers in her floral wreath. Carnations usually represent pure love. However, striped carnations represent a love that cannot be shared. Uh. Um, it says here, 
he says, I think Danny's wreath was made up of primroses, which represent young love, specifically the sentiment of not being able to live without a partner, which usually comes with young love. Uh, so again, it could be talking about the codependency there. Who knows? Uh, it says, we don't actually see Pele's wreath until the end when it is revealed that uh, he was bringing his friends so that they might be sacrifices to fulfill the ritual. However, he also brought in outsiders in order to expand the gene pool, so to speak, and to prevent everyone from becoming inbred. His wreath was made of pine branches. Pine tend to represent wisdom, fertility, and, and longevity. Uh, Danny gives a bundle of what appears to be golden rods to Christian. Golden rods usually represent encouragement and growth and are often given to show support for someone after a loss or when they're going through a difficult time. Basically given to people to help with depression. My best guess is that it's supposed to be ironic since he should probably be giving those to her. Um, yeah. He says that he probably looked a little too much into it. I still think it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, I'm sure that there is some significance there. Mm-hmm. Well, and I caught that scene, too, when Danny gives him flowers. And it's just interesting because even watching it, I was like, well, he should be doing that for yeah. her. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, and then I guess we'll just finish this off. One more thing I thought was interesting. And then there was a couple of comments on it. Um, Reddit user, I'm not Brenda says here, I liked the theme of transitioning to opposites throughout the movie. Danny crying in the beginning, full of anxiety and dread. By the end, she's smiling, experiencing catharsis. She loses her family and finds a new one. It goes from winter to summer, dark to bright. She goes from needing Christian, scared of losing him, to choosing to offer him up. Uh, She says, I liked that the sisters said that the black can't be stopped, and Danny was instrumental in a ritual that was meant to to banish the black one. I found that I felt like she found power in that, whereas before she felt helpless. It put a face to an unknown enemy, and she performed the steps necessary to both bless her new family and abolish the dark evil. I also thought that the boyfriend's name wasn't a coincidence. She found no comfort in Christian. There wasn't a mention of Christianity explicitly, but I think Christian was a metaphor for this, and how he, it, brought her no real comfort in her grief, but she did find in the foreign pagan society. Pele even asked her, does Christian hold you? Um, And then here it says, in the screenplay, there are more incidents where Connie and Simon are being disrespectful to the the cult. Ari noted that they were all eating meat throughout the festival, but at one point the cult members sacrificed some animals in front of everyone, including a dog. This causes Simon to get super angry and argue with a few others, but they point out to him that he's being a hypocrite. He doesn't have a problem eating animals, but he doesn't feel comfortable watching them die. And that's when they actually decide to leave. Yeah, that was in the screenplay. As well as Paley's brother, um, Ingemar, was interested in Connie. He even claimed to have dated her, which she immediately rebuffed. It seemed like Paley and his brother both invited girls they were interested in mating with, as well as uh, their men who could be outsiders and potential mates for the cult women, as well as sacrifices. But because there can only be one May Queen, it was kind of a gamble which girl would be the new member and which one would be the sacrifice. So that's the end of my, uh, I think, let's see if there's anything else. It's like, I don't know, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around this movie a little bit just because like so many positive things happen for Danny, mm-hmm. but in but such in a really unhealthy ways. Way. Yeah. yeah. And so like you get these feelings where she's, she's accepting, she's finding peace, she's finding family, like all these things, but yeah happening in such an awful way so 
it's just like gives you confusing and conflicting emotions throughout the whole movie yeah the final one here sorry from ari aster said that the man wearing mark's skin when josh gets killed is ulf mm-hmm. ulf the guy who yelled at him for peeing on the oh. tree yeah yeah hmm. um Oy. crap Yikes. i had one more thing i wanted to talk about and i don't remember what it was oh we talked about this yesterday a little bit as well, Becca. But one of one of the things that I also loved about this movie is that there's no magic. Mm-hmm. It is not a supernatural movie. Every mm-hmm. single thing in this film could happen. Yeah. Like in Hereditary, there's obvious there's magic. There's possession and there's floating people and summoning demons and all of that. This movie, there is no magic. And I love that because it grounds it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's jacked up. But, like, all of this could happen. Mm-hmm. Which makes it more terrifying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because even there's so many opportunities for magic, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the more important moments that we've overlooked that I've kind of thought about since then is when Ingmar and who's the other guy? Is it Ulf that gets burned? Yeah. Okay. So, when Ingmar and Ulf are in there. And the guy goes in, it's like, take from the yew tree and feel no pain. You're like, oh, they're just going to burn. And then he starts just screaming his head off. Yeah. Like, it's all a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, that to me, like, reinforces that point that I mentioned at the beginning, that the idea behind this movie is that we have needs, physical and emotional, and if they are not met in healthy ways, then we will seek out unhealthy ways to meet those needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just reinforcing that this is an incredibly unhealthy way to meet those needs the whole thing is a lie but the needs are still being met Mm -hmm. like that's but people are dying in the process no i know i'm not saying it's a good thing but just like yeah that idea that bad things can still make you feel good yeah uh, 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 but bad things still happen yeah you know what i mean yeah like yeah danny comes out okay but like all of her friends die Mm -hmm. but were they really her friends and did she really come out okay? <laughs> did they deserve to die though? No. You know no, what I mean? Yeah. Like how many just dickwads are there out there? But that doesn't mean they deserve to be burned alive in a yeah. bear suit. I'm sure there's like a few people who deserve that. Maybe. But <laughs> being a bad boyfriend is not a yeah. death sentence. No. And again, for anybody that's triggered out there, Danny's not a buzzkill. I understand. I was joking at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> Um. Yeah. But again, just overall, such a freaking incredible movie. Oh my gosh. So well made, so immaculately made, so well performed. Um just everything. I just want like a like a tapestry of the first picture the menstrual one no 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 no. you don't want that one no no thank you no the first one that shows like the whole story like the first thing you see like it's so cool that freaking scene i think i ate one of her pubic hairs (laughs) that's probably right (laughs) okay one more thing that i noticed a lot more the second time around they tell the truth about everything Mm. nobody ever lies when they're asked a question Uh uh-huh 
Well, there are like, you know, when Simon disappears, they're like, oh, you just went to the train station. Sure. But like when they're like when talking they're asking about, about the community and yeah. about their customs, nobody ever lies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing like um, because like, you know, the elders, they like were really wary of Josh and Christian, like interviewing them and they're like, mm-hmm. you have to change our names. Mm-hmm. Like, I think most of it is like, well, these guys are going to be dead in a few days, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like when danny asks pele what happens at 72 and he's yeah. like oh yeah yeah yep it's, it's like played off as a joke or even like when the blonde girl at the end this was my favorite one was when the blonde girl comes up to christian at the end and hands him the drink and he's like well, what does it do she's like it breaks down your defenses and makes you more susceptible uh-huh. it, yeah like <laughs> you know what i mean like and like Josh doesn't share with anybody, but uh, Bailey is like, "Yeah, we're going to the Ed Stupa tomorrow." Oh yeah. And Josh is like a real one, which I looked it up. That's like a real thing. Yeah. In like uh, Swedish, specifically pagan cultures, is like a suicide cliff where old people will kill themselves. I also noticed this time around on the cliff, you can see all the all the blood streaks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. On all the and other. there's just like tons of them. Yep. That was the worst scene for me. Oh, yeah, because it's it's hyper disturbing. Because the only thing that grosses me out is broken bones. And just when the old man and he's just like lying there, I was like, oh, my gosh. And when they hit him with the hammer, the sound it makes. But what a what a freaking contrast in that scene, because you shift between possibly the most beautiful shots in the movie to the most gruesome mm-hmm. i gotta say if we're talking freeze frame single frame favorite thing in the movie is that overhead shot of the woman on the edge of the cliff when she's raising her hands up yeah oh. and i don't know and you can see the whole community i yeah. don't know how you make a shot like that how, how do you even plan that and at it and just with the lighting and it, oh my gosh and the rock and the cliffs are just like this beautiful color of blue like i've never seen rocks that look yeah like, that. like the second this is available i'm buying the 4k version oh, because yeah. how do you watch it any other way yeah like that oh my gosh and even like for how gruesome it is even the scene of the guy jumping is gorgeous because you have this whole, it's just a, a super wide angle of the whole community and he just. Yeah. And like, there's really no like, I don't know. They don't make a big deal of it when he first jumps. Mm-hmm. And then like you like hear him and they show you. And then like, they all start screaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw um, something on Reddit. Someone, I think they said that they were like a mortician and they said that it was like one of the most realistic depictions of like a corpse and like that's pretty much like what a body would do. It would just like hit Jeez. it and just like bounce off and their face would explode. Oh my gosh. <sighs> and then when it cuts to the scene the next morning, like what is it? I think it's Danny's just having her panic attack. And then it immediately cuts to the scene of the bodies mm-hmm. being burned. And it's just like so shocking. Yeah. It's so yeah. fast. That's what I'm saying. The editing in this movie is out of this world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a few of those like, Things that are probably going to become Ari Aster staples, like the day to night cuts. Mm-hmm. There's the one of Josh uh, sitting in the room and it's daytime. And then it cuts and it's dark. Mm. Um, and but one thing, the freaking edit when she goes into the bathroom in the apartment, oh and then gosh. all of a sudden it's the bathroom in the plane. Oh, uh, How do you do a shot like that? That was so and cool. like her clothes change and yeah, 
but it's oh just seamless. Gosh. It's so But like so the panic good. attack is the same. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ugh. It's, uh, it's so good. Yeah. But do I want to see it again? That's the question. You do. Just give it I a do. week. I, I do. I do want to see it again. I want to watch it. I watched it last night for the second time. I want to go see it again today. <laughs> it's so freaking good. Like it's so outrageously good. Uh-huh. Huh. When I left the theater, I was like, I started like laughing because I was like, what did I just watch? But then like my laughing kind of turned into crying. <laughs> I like started laughing. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting experience for me. That's for sure. And there's a million other things that we're not oh, yeah. talking about. We could talk about this forever. We really could. But we're at an hour 15 already. Whoa. Uh. Do we have any trivia? Yes. All right. And then we will do our final thoughts and rating out of 10. Becca, you can't get out of it. You're going first. Okay. <laughs> I have only gotten out of it once. I know. I'm just saying it now. You're not getting out of it. All right. Um, okay. According to Ari Aster, this was meant to be his first horror movie since Hereditary was intended to be a family drama. Which I, yeah. Hmm. And he just like threw demons in at the end? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Um, and then this one isn't even that scary. I know. Like, <laughs> um, Mark displays an extreme phobia of ticks, uh, which is based on Ari Aster's real life fear of bugs and illness. Hmm. Um, and like Mark, Aster wore two pairs of socks over his jeans to ensure no bug bites. Like while making the movie? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. I did notice that about Mark. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, is this like a fashion choice or? <laughs> yeah. Um, during the meal when the meat pies are served, Christian's glass is reddish. Yep. I yep. feel like they focused on that a lot. Like I didn't camera. catch on it the first time, but oh, like, really? it, like you know, like I noticed that it was like different than anyone else's, yeah. but like I didn't register what it was. Becca poked me the first time that we saw it, Becca poked me and was like, His glass is red. <laughs> <laughs> um and then um under his meat pie is like a leaf i noticed that the second time yeah yeah. um and then when uh, pele is comforting danny and talking about how his parents died and they burned up yeah implying that this yeah that they could have been the sacrifices see that's one that i'm not 100 percent sure about because the sacrifice at the end only happens every 90 years yeah that's true oh then maybe not i don't know I'm lost on that one. I don't have an explanation for it. Yeah. I'm just saying that Ari himself said that that only happens every 90 years. Uh-huh. So who knows? Um, oh, director trademark. Both of Ari Aster's films so far have included gruesome shots of bashed in faces. He mentioned that in his AMA as well. Oh, really? Um, somebody asked him about it. They're like, why do you, like, why are you focusing so much on head trauma? And he's like, that'll be a staple of my films. <laughs> Even the comedy? Yeah. I don't know. Apparently, he said, he's apparently he's really into like severe head trauma. I don't he know. He says he wants to do a musical, so I don't know how he's going to work that in. Yeah, he said he wants to do a musical and a comedy. Like, Jeez. He said he's done with horror for now, though. I'm really excited to see what else he could do. I'm very curious. I'm sure it would be great. Um, let's see. Um, so early in the film, Simon sees a group of kids playing and asks Pele what they're doing, and he explains it as Skin the Fool. Um, during the sacrifice scene at the end of the film, Mark's skinned and mutilated body is carried in the temple with the jester's hat. Um, the kid's game may have been derived from the actual practice of skidding the fool for the midsummer sacrifice. Fat yikes. Um, Danny's surname, Ardor, 
which is a noun meaning zealous or excited transitionary state. Hmm. And let me think. Yeah, that's it. Well, there you go. All right, folks. Uh, one thing that we didn't focus on very much, and I think this is just because our lack of experience. None of us uh, are users of psychedelic drugs. Uh, but one of the thing, the use of psychedelic drugs and the effects of it are very prominent in this film. And again, um, from people who do have experience, they say that the visual uh, hallucinations are incredibly accurate. That sounds horrible. Why would you guys want to do that? <laughs> and even like when they're tripping uh, right after they get there and Mark is like... Lay down. Everybody yeah. lay down. Yeah. Like, Are you it, lying down? Yeah, that whole thing. And also, um, I I picked up on it on the second time. I didn't get it the first time. Um, what ruins Danny's trip is that Mark says the word family. He says, you guys are like my family. Oh, yeah. I caught oh. that. And that's when she has her panic attack. Okay. I really liked the like imagery of Danny being like connected to the ground. And when it would mm-hmm. show like the grass growing out of her hand and uh-huh. her feet like... I don't know. I thought it was cool. Image. Again, there's so many things that we could talk about. Yeah. yeah. There's so much going on in this movie. He's a freaking genius. Yeah. This could definitely be one of those movies where you like watch 10 minutes, you pause it, you talk about it for 20 minutes, and then you watch another 10 minutes. Yeah. Seriously. I would have loved that. Yeah. All right, Becca, what do you have for us? Final thoughts and rating out of 10. All right. Um, I don't know what more I can say about this movie. I mean, we could talk about it forever, but I just think it's beautiful incredibly well acted well directed well edited like there's not a scene that feels out of place and everything in every scene feel like like i said at the beginning i could look at every single scene forever so i don't know it's hard to rate it but i was very surprised at how much i love this movie and i'm going to rate it a 9.5 hey yo! whoa what do you got for us Sid? um yeah i don't have too much else to say um i'd probably say that through talking about it uh i realized that i i actually did really like this movie um i'm really excited to see it again hopefully i don't get sick um i'm still like not entirely sure how much i liked it but i think for now i'm gonna rate it a 9.2 Hello, folks. I liked this movie. If you've listened to this point and you didn't realize that yet, I liked this movie. Um, I liked it a lot. In fact, I loved it. Um, the bad part is, is that I remember what I rated Hereditary. Uh-oh. Yeah, I remember too. And I may need to revise Hereditary. I really want to watch hereditary now to really uh, dial it in however one number keeps coming to mind in relation to midsummer especially after our discussion here um i'm gonna rate midsummer a 9.7 all right we're big fans here we're big fans um so let's see here I think that probably puts it at 9.5. Probably. Uh, Becca, you said... 9.5. Sid, you said... 9.2. 
and i feel like mine could go up too like yeah actually same i feel like if i were to watch it again it would go up like it just needs more time yeah for me it's definitely one that you need to think about it and like you need to kind of read up on the little clues that they get and watch it again but like there's nothing wrong with it like I as mean, far like, as like it's so well put together yeah. so well acted there are things that like i didn't love watching but it would feel like a lesser movie if they took it out yeah exactly. literally my only beef with it is that the story structure is really similar to hereditary mm-hmm. but i mean i don't mind you, that, if you though. got a structure that works roll with it and that's the, that's the other thing like that's the only thing that i can think of like i would like to see something a little different because yeah. only because i felt like i knew as soon as there was a gruesome i, I don't know I don't know because I knew that the last 20 minutes were going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as there was a gruesome scene about a third of the way through, I kind of expected it to chill for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's such a small beef. I don't even care. Yeah. It's so good. Folks, we love this movie. It lived up to the hype. It actually freaking did. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ari Aster, for making a movie that lived up to the hype. Now, if only Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Lighthouse can do the same, this will be a fantastic year. And The Irishman. Let's go, folks. Yes. Um, we're going to quickly go over some of the other movies that we've watched in the last two weeks because there's a couple worth mentioning. Um, but if this is where you leave us, we understand. Uh, you can get in contact with us at contact at wewatchpodcast.com or at wewatchpodcast on any of the major social media networks. Um, before we get into just what we've watched, any other topics that are of interest? I don't have anything. I'm just asking. Nope. I don't have anything. Nope. Okay. Then I will jump in. Um, we've watched a lot of movies. We've watched a lot of movies. Yeah. So we'll just go over, um, I didn't watch a lot. So you guys have to carry the team here. You'll have to remind me what we watched though. Yeah. Um, so I watched Mama by Guillermo del Toro. It was fine. Uh, we watched Rushmore. Oh, yeah. I hear that one's like one of his best. It was good. Some yeah. people say that. Some people you wouldn't. Uh, no. I actually, I have a blog post that I'm putting on the website once it goes up. We're building a website, folks. <gasps> um, about why I didn't love it. Mm. And really what it comes down to is that i didn't love it because i have seen the grand budapest hotel and i saw it first yeah and there are a lot of similarities there as far as it's about a young man who is very taken with this person that he assigns as his mentor and there is some deeper emotional trauma there and all this stuff and that's not to say that rushmore isn't good it's just that grand budapest hotel is so good Mm -hmm. so there's that but it's fantastically done. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think out of the ones of his that I've seen, I am only missing Life Aquatic and Darjeeling Limited. Um, it's probably my least favorite. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It, and you would think it would be Bottle Rocket just because of how primitive the Wes Anderson style is in Bottle Rocket. But Bottle Rocket is just so full of charm. Yeah, it, I, Bottle Rocket's great. I love Bottle Rocket. Uh, we watched Melancholia. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that the... Lars von Trier. Okay. Fantastic. I really... I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed that movie. So good. Um, I am becoming a big Lars von Trier fan. Every movie of his that I see, I love him more. Um, it's very slow. It's very depressing. Um, it's very 
contemplative and it's pretty weird yeah so it's always one true what do you want um i watched old boy oh the, the original yeah uh-huh. it was good yeah have you seen it no i mean like i've heard about it for years it wasn't what i was expecting mm-hmm. i liked the style of it a lot mm-hmm. it was i don't know if purposeful but it came off as tongue-in-cheek to me uh-huh in like a lot of the like kung fu movie tropes but it's not a kung fu movie it was not i was expecting it to be this like hyper violent trek to find his kidnapper and it wasn't that like there was some scenes with a lot of violence but it mostly just came out being kind of weird and pretty depressing Mm. worth watching it was good and then we watched manchester by the sea oh yeah how you feeling after that very sad it's very sad yep (laughs) Like, intensely so. What's your existential dread after that one? I mean, I was fine just because... I, fortunately for me, couldn't relate to a lot of the things that were going on in the film. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that doesn't make it less sad. It was pretty, pretty depressing. But it's good. That scene towards the end where he tells... Um, uh, Lucas Hedges that... He's going to be adopted by the friend because he can't beat it. Like, oh, jeez, oh, dude. And, like, you realize why. Because, like, throughout the whole movie, I'm just like, dude, you moron. Just move there with the kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, he can't be in that town. Yeah. Oh. Very depressing. Whew. Like, even for this. And I think they set it up so well um, because it's like he's he clearly loves this kid and would do anything for him. Mm-hmm. But, like, he can't do that. Yeah. A little bit of meatloaf there. Yeah, I was just starting to think of that. <laughs> but, yeah. And then, Becca, you saw Spider-Man Far From Home, right? Hey, so did I. Oh, yeah. It was fine. Yeah, it was okay. It, you know, I like, I, li- I really like Tom Holland. I thought it was like, um, like a good kind of follow-up to Endgame. But like, it was fine. I just like, I, I mean, love Jake Gyllenhaal. As Endgame. I didn't like him in it. I love him all the time. Like, I love Jake Gyllenhaal, but, like, his character was so cheesy. And, like, I was just like, eh, this is not the Jake Gyllenhaal that I, <laughs> that know, I and know and love. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it was fine. I didn't watch too much else other than that. I watched, like, A Knight's Tale. I've never actually seen that. You haven't? Are you serious? I love that. That's it's a like, great movie. It's, like, on at every single hotel I go to. And, like, I'd watch, like, the first 20 minutes. Oh, that's right. Minutes. You were out of town, so you're yeah. excused. Yeah. I'd watch, like, the first 20 minutes, and then I'd fall asleep. And then we, like, actually sat down and watched it. it was, it's yeah, so good. It's really, it was good. Paul Bettany is really good in that movie. Yeah. His butt's pretty good, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, watch Stranger Things, Big Little yeah, Lies. I don't know. We're, like, halfway through the second season of Westworld, and then I want to start Big Little Lies. It's really good. And then after that, I want to not watch TV anymore. <laughs> I'm so sick of TV. But I'm just like wrapped up. But yeah, not too much. Anything else? No, not really. This movie drained us, folks. Oof. Yeah. But it's so good. Let's go see it again. Let's go. Dude, I would. Um, all right. Well, we thank you. We love you. Again, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, contact at wewatchpodcast.com at we watch podcast on any of the major social media networks including facebook twitter and instagram uh instagram is probably the best way to get in touch with us because sid and becca do a fantastic job of maintaining that instagram page um 
Next week, we're going to be doing Paddington 2. I'm going to bring it home a little bit. I'm not even joking. We're doing it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing Paddington 2. And that's it. I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. And we'll catch you on the next one. See ya. Bye.